Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Ken Lundeen. We're going to be talking about his sales roadmap and really, how do you make sales work in a way that just makes sense? No more weird stuff you see online, no more hacks, no more gimmicks, but the actual strategies that simply work in the sales world. It doesn't matter if you have no experience in sales and even if you're a seasoned veteran, you're going to find so many insights on today's episode. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. Talking about some sales today. And you know how agonizing sales can be. You know how painful sales can be. But we're going to be talking about a method that just works, an answer that just works. And you know what me, I don't like to talk about fluff. I don't like to get into all the fooey business about um, you know how to up-level your sales game without actually talking about the real things you need to do. Well, today, Ken Lundin is on the podcast. He's the founder of Ken Lundin and Associates. And he's also the creator of the Sales Alpha Roadmap. And really, we're going to be talking about what does it mean tangibly to actually build a sales strategy that works, that you can rely on, and more importantly, is consistent day in and day out. Ken, man, I'm so excited having the podcast today. Oh, I'm excited to be here, Blake. This sounds like it is going to be a blast. And uh, you know, hopefully some people will uh, get a couple nuggets they can apply in their world and make some money tomorrow. It, you know, it kind of feels like it, I get really excited about this topic because it kind of feels like this is like the one topic that everyone can relate with, regardless of what industry yeah. you're in, regardless of how long you've been in business. Everyone is thinking about sales. How do I make more money? Uh, and something that you said right before I hit record was you mentioned, you know, we're just going to have an honest conversation. We're going to have a genuine conversation. And it feels like we throw that word around a lot, but I can tell you really mean that. And so I'm, I'm excited to really dig in with you and, and learn a little bit more about sales. Yeah, that'll be awesome. I think it's a lot of fun. And the, and the truth of the matter is the reason I say we can have an honest, genuine conversation is um, I've been in your audience's shoes. Um, you know, I've, the truth is the matter is I filed bankruptcy in 2011 and I had that out of my first business. So, mm-hmm. you know, if there's anybody who gets what they're going through and the amount of risk and the amount of respect you have to have for somebody who wants to actually go out and make their mark on this world, you know, I've seen both sides of it. And so, um, there's no way but the truth. So let's go do it. Yeah. Well, let's let's start with a little bit about your business, what you do for a living, um, uh, especially this this these sales concepts that you've put together. Um, tell me more about yourself. Oh, great. Yeah. So it's uh, we've got an awesome business, and we've just got a fantastic group of consultants that work with with within it. And so, you know, Ken Landina Associates. Quite frankly, we're the only agile managed services kind of subscription plan that a, that a business can use. So that what that means really tangibly to people is we know that when you're growing a business in any day in, day out process, that you might need strategy coaching, training, consulting, sales process work all at the same time. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, and my and the issue is that our industry has just done a miserable job of aligning the services that we offer to what a company actually needs to have sustainable sales growth. So uh, we're very fortunate. I got just a top grade talent that they are just, they've done this over and over again for so many businesses. And I'm blessed that they've uh, chosen to call, you know, Ken Lindy Associates home. It feels like this, this conversation of sales, it, it, it feels like there's a simplicity of it. And yet it feels so complicated. Like you mentioned, you're an agile business. You know, you're obviously you're helping. There's so many different factors that are in play for uh, not just your customers, I'm sure, but for all businesses. For the people who are listening right now who are thinking, man, like, yes, I, I feel like I get sales. And yet when I actually do sales, it feels clunky. It feels hard. It feels a bit like I'm in a whirlwind. Talk to me a little bit more about just your take on sales in general. Yeah, I mean, and maybe it's even better to talk about it from your audience's perspective, Blake, if you'll let me get away with that. I think ultimately, here's the issue. Everybody thinks sales is a black box, right? You just put a bunch of stuff into it and then eventually a sale drops out and you don't know what the perfect combination of things is. You know, when you look at, say, people who turned a side hustle into a business or when you look at people of technical expertise and they're like, man, I got this concept that I want to go take to market. You have technical founders and non-technical founders is what venture capitalists call it. You know, and the non-technical founder, the person, oh, by the way, who might be able to sell something because they're not technically related is the stepchild in that relationship <laughs> and they're thought poorly of. So yeah, it's the, I get the perspective of most small businesses. They're like, you know, considering probably 70% of them live in that e-myth category. We just get tired of working for somebody else. We wanted to go do our thing. And all we did was work our way into a J-O-B. So, you know, I think that's the issue with sales because there's a very big difference between selling enough to have a life and selling enough to have a business. Hmm. And, you know, and I think that's ultimately when, when we look at how we talk about growing sales, products and companies are very, very different. How you systematically grow sales is not. Um, and so that's the thing is that you got to be able to demystify that process and understand, you know, where are we going and what are we doing next? So I think that the systematic approach to growing it and, you know, having customer centric messaging and, um, this process is a little bit easier than your audience probably thinks, but I think we'll probably get into that. Well, it, it, I'm thinking of two different groups. I'm thinking of, and I don't necessarily have a question out of this. I'm just sort of responding as I'm listening Let's to just you. Talk. Well, I, I'm thinking about that, that first group who they are maybe the fresh entrepreneur. And as you start talking about really strategy and process, it's sort of... Um, uh, a bit sweltering because it's like, oh, you're 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 getting away from my creative energy and my entrepreneurial spirit, which was really exciting. And you know, it's kind of the whole if I build it, they will come type mentality. So I think about that group who really can get a lot from sh from changing their mindset as as I'm listening to you. But then there's this other group also that they've they're selling something, but it's very ambiguous exactly what they're doing in the sales world. I'm thinking about yeah. people. I, I've even seen people who, you know, they have like the whiteboard in their office and it's like the list of all their customers, but you ask questions like, well, where is this customer in the sales process? And it's either like it's zeros and ones. It's, it's yeah. either we've sold them or we haven't sold them, but you can't really, 
there's really no concept behind like, oh, this is where this person is in the sales pipeline, or this is, you're talking about actually, and I love the word you use, demystifying and really almost kind of putting on paper, like this is the, the equation to build your business. I'd love to hear more about that. I'd love to hear more about, you know, what does it look like to build a a maybe even metric focus, but systematic approach to sales in your business. Yeah. So uh, there it is. You just said it, right? So the number one thing that we find happens is that, you know, businesses in general don't move to where they can use data instead of their gut to figure it out. Right. And so what does that look like? Um, You're a new entrepreneur. You've started going, you're really excited about your product. Guess what, though? You just missed a little bit of the product market fit. Hmm. You don't understand the bigger problem that your product and service can solve. Okay, so you got some product market fit and you're, you're selling a few things. Oh, but guess what? Now what? you don't have a process that's repeatable. So you continue to have founder-led sales where you're like, man, if I'm, not, if I'm selling it and I'm not a salesperson and I'm closing this many deals, how in the world can't I get a salesperson to do it? They must all be stupid, hmm. right? You know, it's this big black box or you've had some series of success, you know, and you're like, oh, now I've got multiple product lines and, and, but where, now where do I put my effort in? Because now I've got this just kind of, you know, siloed set of business units. Well, all of those things fit into what we call the sales alpha roadmap and the sales alpha roadmap is a process. And if you don't get each step, right, you actually limit the amount of revenue and profit that you can get from the following steps. So as an example, if you don't get product market fit, right right? Which is our launch phase. When you move into Lyft, which is you want to install a repeatable process with more salespeople, well, you can't charge as much as you normally would for it because you don't understand the product market fit and the problem you are solving. And so whether you're a new entrepreneur or you're a corporate innovation center, here's, let me, let me give you some, here's something that's interesting, right? Small business thinks they're unique from big business, Here's what I can tell you. I've been in the boardroom of $150 billion companies. I've been in the boardroom of Fortune 100 companies, and we work with companies that that are probably anywhere from just post-revenue. The sales problems are the exact same. It's just the scale on how to fix it, right? And so, look, here's the good news. What does that mean for a small business? Guess what? It's fixable. (laughs) You want to sell some more? You want to scale? You want to be systematic? Like go through that process, make sure product market fits tight. How do you do that? You said tactical and actionable. So let's make sure that I don't leave that and make this sound like a bunch of a word salad, right? Tactical and actionable, right? Go ask your clients, why did you buy us? And why will you never leave us? There are two different answers. The second one is the one that people will actually buy and pay more for, right? So understand those components. What does it look like to build systematic sales? What does it understand? The easy part about this, and here's the part that everyone screws up, especially if you're a technical founder who's built a product. You've turned a side hustle into your thing. You're like, my thing's great. Understand this. Your clients don't care about your thing. They care about what your thing will do for them. So if you'll move 100% of your messaging to customer centrics, how here's how I solve your problem, I promise you the impact will be higher. I love that. And it, it feels like it's almost like separating. There's nothing wrong with being passionate in entrepreneurship, passionate in business, but misunderstanding that, you know, your product is the best thing since sliced bread. 
And rather than understanding what it actually does for your customers, I think it's an amazing insight. The other thing I want to ask you about, it feels like, and again, this is what's so funny about the podcast is because someone like yourself comes on and you share this, this knowledge bomb that I know my listeners are like, yes, absolutely. Yes, I get it. Go and talk to my customers. And yet it feels like in practice, people are hesitant to have that conversation or they don't know where to start to have that conversation. Or even worse, they have the customers who they already know are bought in for life and they'll go to them to sort of stroke their own ego. It's like, I know know, you've bought all this from me. You're my number one customer. What do you like about me? You're like, oh, I love these things. And then I like the way you're dressed. You wear great (laughs) shoes. Yeah, yeah. And then then you have like the customers who they bought one time and they never came back. In fact, they never responded in any way. And it's like, well, I'm not going to ask them because, you know, they might hurt my feelings, I guess. Mm. It feels like developing that communication piece is so key, yet we don't always do it as well as we should. Yeah. Well, Blake, you just crushed us. Here's the good news. Everybody's listening right now. Just mark this time on the podcast because we're just going to get super tactical on how to have that conversation. Okay. So here's the deal. Yes, you're right. Do not do this to feed your ego if you want to feed your business. Right. I love that. Right. Very first thing. Wow. (laughs) Okay. So that's first thing. Second thing, second thing (laughs) is this, here's how the conversation goes. Right. And somebody else said it. I don't remember who did the quote, Blake, you might know, but somebody said, you want money, ask for advice. You want advice, ask for money. So let's do that. Right. It's really, really simple. So let's just talk about what a practical conversation is going to look like with somebody who will provide you the information you need to enhance your product. Okay. And it's really, really simple. It's, Hey, Blake, you know what? Um, and so let's say, Blake, you are not a buyer, but you're somebody in my network. You, you don't have my product, right? Let's figure out product market fit real quick. So it goes something like this. Hey, Blake, you know what? Um, we've got this thing and we're doing this product set solution. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm trying to do some research right now and just really understand what it is that people in your position are really tasked with. And what are the things that are most important to you over the course of the next 12 to 18 months? Would you mind if I bought you a virtual cup of coffee? And we just spent 20 minutes because I'd love to get some advice from you on how we might be able to help people who are like you. It's super simple. It's super genuine. I'm asking for advice. The disproportionate amount of people will say yes to that. And what's cool about that is if you structure it right, like we just structure like our perfect meeting and our discovery agendas and such, the last 10 minutes of that call goes like this. Hey, Blake, really appreciate you sharing all those things that were so important to you and that you're working on over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. Would it make sense if we pivoted now and I'll just tell you a little bit about what we're working on and you can tell me whether or not you think that might be something that would be valuable for you or people like you. You get to give them a commercial at the end of 20 minutes where they did nothing but tell you about everything that matters to them and don't miss the following point. So take this one with you wherever you go. I said, what's important to you over the next 12 to 18 months? Why did I do that? We time box it because we want people to lift their eyes up off of their desk to consider the strategic priorities that they have. Because if I say to somebody, hey, what's, what's important in your world today? I'm looking at my desk and I got a pile of paper over here and I got a thing here and my email's chiming and whatever. And I've, all I have are tactical considerations. And here's the truth. Nobody will pay real money to solve a tactical problem. That's the process. How you ask somebody for the meeting, what you do in the meeting, and how you start to get that. And what I tell people who are trying to get to product market fit is you need two of those meetings a week for three months. Mm. Well, I, I love the concept, and it 
it almost feels like when we go to this whole conversation of product market fit and validating your products, it, I think it's almost like people get a little squeamish around reaching out to strangers or, or even asking general friends. Uh, there's a really great book in the startup world called Passing the Mom Test. And the mm -hmm. premise of it is if you're trying to find that product market fit, stop asking your mom what yeah. she thinks about your your product. Because, you know, naturally everyone's mom is like, oh, you know, love it. You know, they're going to love you. They're going to throw money at you. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times we do that rather than having that conversation with someone in your market. And and frankly, I think it also means opening yourself up to some real rejection. I mean, I had a conversation with someone a couple of years ago uh, on something I was selling, someone who was in my my market, and he immediately was like, oh, I think that's total junk. I mean, I think that's a total waste. And it was like, okay, ow. But there was an insight there on, okay, this, this is shaping my perspective on what I sell, which, you know, as the person who's selling it, naturally, I think it's amazing. I think it's wonderful. Who wouldn't buy it? Um, those honest dialogues that you're talking about, I think are incredibly valuable. Yeah, I think so too. And I think the other thing is this. So I say a phrase that's not ask your mom, but I love that one is um, this. I say, get people to vote with their wallet. Yeah. Right. Because all your friends think your stuff's great until you say, would you spend 10 bucks on it? And they're like, uh, I'll buy you a beer, but I'm not going to buy spend 10 bucks on your thing. Right. Well, and, and I think even going one step further, this is really common in the startup world on, in terms of validation, not just people who said they would buy, but who actually did buy or they did a yeah, yeah. payment or they did. Yeah, a, I'm talking about hard cash changing hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great concept because I think, I think, you know, people are really kind sometimes in this world and they'll tell you, oh, of course I'll pay for it. And then it comes around time to actually buy it. And you know, no one's around. <laughs> no. Yeah. So. You're standing alone. You're like, meet me at the gym at 12. And they're like, there's nobody there. Yeah. 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 I love you know, it. I love certainly. It. Yeah. It's one of those concepts too, where we, so we have a, one of our programs called the Market Acceleration Program is a program that was put together with a venture capital partner of ours called Growth X. And they start out Silicon Valley and they've got a presence in Nashville as well. And so in that Market Acceleration Program, they talk a lot about, hey, when we invest in companies, we don't want know-it-alls, we want learn-it-alls. Hmm. So Max Mink is great, Andrew Goldner's fantastic. And so we've actually put that into like their, we've got an 80 series, there are 80 videos that are in this process of, hey, how do you walk through product market fit? And I think the number one thing you have to understand, even through all that time and all those templates is this, um, understand feedback is not offensive, I right? That. Feedbacks, that's how you actually make those changes. And so you have to ask yourself, are you protecting your product or are you trying to understand your prospect? And understanding your prospect, their, the problems and the things they need. Because understand, the other, thing that, the other thing they talk about all the time is let's get to Mr. Right now, especially if you're an early stage company. Don't like I, the biggest mistake. I was on a call earlier today. We've got a client who's received over a million dollars in venture capital funding. We're trying to get to market um, product market fit. And they had one of their team members on the phone and they were trying to boil the ocean to get to what's this thing going to look like in six years and who's going to be buying from us? I'm like, wait, wait, wait that sounds like the fastest way to bankruptcy to me. Hmm. Like, let's get to who's the person we can serve the most, who has the biggest problem that we can make the big, biggest impact on today. And as long as you're focused on that and them, get the focus off yourself, product market fit becomes pretty simple to get to. 
How often are you having conversations like that where, you know, obviously you have your roadmap, you have the answer for actually helping someone scale their sales process, but how often are you finding yourself having to sort of rewire how a founder or an owner sees things, sees their product fitting in the market and really working against some of these misconceptions um, that they have about their business or their, their customers? Yeah. The answer is every day. (laughs) So we have them every day. And the reason is this, like, I've got to fight my own kind of stuff that goes on in my head. Look, I'm a founder. I'm a business owner. We're growing rapidly. We're adding employees. So I've got all the other same stuff going on. Um, I think the thing I do better than a lot of people is that I don't let myself go too long in a bad state. So like I self-correct pretty fast. Um, But I would say that with the companies that we work with, it doesn't matter if you're putting in the process, you're trying to get a product market fit, or if you're a publicly traded company who has, you know, 15 successful business units and just quite can't get alignment between each of them. Um, In all instances, we are all the, the issue, the real question you asked Blake is how big of a factor does human behavior and habit play Hmm. in changing outcomes? And the answer is, massive regardless of the size of the company you ever have customers who are just totally unwilling to shift their perspective on how they see sales um, we, we have customers who are unwilling to admit that they are unwilling <laughs> like and what that means is because that requires so say we might be working with the vp of sales on a company but the owner might be the person who's causing causing the most chaos you know, um, there are a lot of management systems out there as an example. So EOS is one, which is, I've got customers on that have been very, very successful, but it's the application of the management system. So I'll just use EOS as an example. It's a great system. I'm just going to say how we manage it. Um, that system as an example, it, it says, okay, every, we need a big rock every quarter, right? We need, everybody's got to be working on something of strategic nature once a quarter, right? That might be okay in super growth mode, super early, but once you get some establishment, you got to slow down and do and get better at the stuff you do good. Hmm. Like let's just get better at the core concepts because the larger you get now, instead of having a team of four people working on, you know, a strategic initiative once a quarter, now you have a team of 38 mm-hmm. and that type of change crushes the rest of your employees because they're like, man, we always start everything and we never finish anything. So I know that was a bigger example, but take it back to the startup world, right? You're a founder who craves the ability to be creative because that's what you enjoy. So you want to keep creating solutions. Well, the problem is all your people, they don't love your company or you as much as you do. Right. Right. They love their families first. And so when you put all this chaos into an environment without a system and a process, you create a massive amount of turnover and angst among your team. So human behavior is a big, big deal. I think that's incredibly spot on. And the way I've heard it described is sort of like this um, seesaw between innovation, like where you're constantly breaking stuff and just seeing there's excitement around like, what are we going to do next? What are we going to make next? And then the other side of it is this, and it almost feels kind of mundane to the founder, but this process of fine tuning and really drilling down on process. And you have employees who love those two sides differently you know, and I think you put it well, like the employees who love the process and stability and consistency piece are really going to yearn for that, especially in a culture where you are always, you know, it's, it's what's the next shiny object? What are we doing next? Um, so I, I think you hit it really well. 
Yeah, I think what you said is interesting because we talk, we have a concept called the growth acceleration curve. And that's that curve shows what does it cost a company to get funded based on their size, um, innovation, and traction. You know, that's the word in the you know, VCs and PEs. Show me some more traction. And at the end of the day, like another kind of point. So if you're an entrepreneur who wants to eventually get funding or is doing it now, you know, put a staple in this part of the podcast, understand this. Yes, you want to have a fantastic product, but if you are hiring a technical team in front of hiring a sales team who can actually provide traction, you've actually decreased your multiple and increased the amount of equity that you're going to give up. Don't forget traction is the number one thing they're going to ask for. And it's the fastest way to decrease the amount of risk to the next set of investors Mm -hmm. and increase the amount of money they'll give you for less stake in your company. Well, let's talk about a topic that's similar to this because we're getting kind of into the minutia of... Um, yeah, re- sorry, I get down there. <laughs> well, no, no, this is this is good. I mean, because this is ultimately, I think a lot of the people listening right now, I mean, they can't even get past, and this is, we've all been here, yeah. but it's like, I'm just, I'm like in the weeds of just today. I can't even think about that conversation, you know, six yeah. months from now. But a similar conversation in terms that that is in the minutia in the weeds is this conversation of pricing. And I'd love to get your take yeah. on pricing. You know, I've heard some people describe it in kind of obnoxious terms of, you know, pricing is an art and you never really know what the right price is. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what does that, that doesn't really give the small business owner much to go on. And then what I've also seen is this really obnoxious trend on social media, which is this sort of, you know, boss lady, know your worth, always charge more, always raise your rates. You know, my business was really failing and then I doubled my prices and now it's thriving. And and I, I almost feel a little bad for the new entrepreneur who's getting this kind of information because, you know, they're throwing, a, they're just throwing a price up there and then it's not working. They're thinking like, what's going on? Like this, this doesn't really seem to make sense. So give me your take on pricing for uh, a business owner who's trying to figure that out. Yeah, they're all wrong. so so there's a lot of things it depends what you're trying to do right so if you want a lifestyle company that's one thing if you're trying to prepare a company to potentially go aggressively grow that's one thing preparing a company for an exit that's something different but let's just come back to the basic premise on the small side Um, first of all we remember how i said if you don't hit each kind of component of growth correctly that'll limit your ability for what you can sell and what you can make on your product or service So the first thing is you have to hit product market fit. And the tighter you are to the product market fit, meaning I fully understand the implication and the return somebody gets on my product versus their massive problem, the better you, the better you are in understanding what your price to market is. You know, we had a, I had literally had this conversation. It was the conversation I was having before I got on the phone today or before I got on the podcast today with you was we were talking about one, are we pricing an app to the individual? Are we pricing it to the middle enterprise? What are we doing? Um, so I think, first of all, you have to decide your model. Am I going to the individual or am I going to the middle enterprise? By the way, if you're a business and you're selling, please, 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 let me tell you how to target, maximize price and actually get sales through. Target the mid-sized customers, right? That's the Goldilocks zone that nobody wants because it takes no skill set. Well, that was mean. It doesn't take <laughs> much skill set to target the super small business and everybody wants the enterprise, So the underserved is kind of that middle. And so there's a lot of margin there. Plus, you don't have to go as crazy. You don't have long MSA processes. You don't have long buying processes. So that's great. But from a pricing perspective, my opinion is this. Um, I don't have a hard and fast like, hey, this is the rule times 20. 
But I do say this, generally speaking, if you're a software product, as an example, and we'll talk about services, if you're a software product, you need to be targeting something that in your second year of your contract gets you 70% gross margins or better because that's healthy in the business. All right. And that's what I said, gross margins. So if you run your company like crap and you buy too much property and you have too many other fixed expenses, that's a totally different gig. That's, that's on you. So I think that's the first, I think that's the first component. The services component, services businesses can typically end at a 60% gross margin. So the good news about this, it does give some hard and fast rules on what does it take to service the thing? And I can build my pricing model off of that. Those are just the rules. If you're looking to potentially do some funding later, you want to be targeting from a software perspective, some sort of, if you can get to a 40% net income year or two, you start to look really good because you get a blended rate that's you know pretty high. And that's when your multiples expand. Um, so that's a lot of just like hard and fast kind of numbers. But I would say this, if you're a startup and you're founding the thing, find the problem you're solving, charge a fair and equitable price for it. Make sure you've hit product market fit and then reiterate and move your prices up three times in the next two years. Okay. So, you know, I don't know. It may have been a really bad answer, but no, it's, it's great. You know, it's yeah, just I mean, kind of, the, it's kind of, the, it's kind of the process. <laughs> we were, I had a pricing conversation this morning with a client who sells a software product. You know, they priced it based upon one metric. And I said, um, how often do you get, here's, here's the, oh, here it is. Let's ask this question. Damn it. Took me long enough to get her. Right. So here's a quick one. Do you get pressure when you present pricing? That doesn't mean do they, not that they say, hey, how'd you get to the pricing, but are they actually pushing back and actively asking for discounts? Mm-hmm. Right. If they are, you're not a product market fit or you are overcharging. Okay. Right. So those are the two things. If they don't, you're definitely under the mark. So we moved a client up this morning, which I expect they're going to zero resistance on, you know, 10%. And then we moved up 40% of the back end, which I might've said that earlier, but we've, you know, we've continued to move clients up. So long-winded, I'm going to shut up. Blake, well, it's, it's super helpful. I mean, you're giving some really tangible advice and I think everyone can relate to, you know, you're talking about the product, you're talking, you know, you've done a great job talking with your prospective customer and then you get to the price the price point. And I think many of us can relate to that whole um, word vomit that happens where now all of a sudden you're like, it costs this much. And this is what's you know so great about it. You know, and you're talking a mile a minute. Um, and then I think we can all relate with that customer one who is kind of like, Ooh, let me talk to my spouse, you know, and you're thinking like, dang it. Uh, or then the other customer kind of breathes a sigh of relief and like, Oh, great. That's awesome. And you're like, and then you're the one who's kind of like, dang it, I totally yeah, left it on the table. But I, I think I think a really great insight you made is again that concept of product market fit. You know, understanding who your buyer is and pricing your product accordingly because that's that's something that I've struggled with in the past. It's what a lot of business owners I talk to struggle with is who they are trying to sell to doesn't match with the price. It's like I'm going to sell. Um, I mean, I, I'm in consulting, so uh, I'm going to sell. You know, leadership advice to uh, the corporation. That's a totally different price point than you know the person who just hired their first employee. You know, they're going to yeah. pay totally different prices. But if I don't think about that, I'm going to have that tension, that awkwardness of always trying to make something fit when maybe it doesn't fit. So yeah, yeah. More importantly, should you be selling to both both bodies? 
And that's, I think that is the question. And I think that's, it's, I don't know if we as business owners have that strategic thinking or, or even where we sit down and say, okay, where do I see this thing going four, six, eight weeks down the road? And do I need to pivot or do I need to hone in? And something that I see a lot of small business owners do, and you probably get this from your customers is when you talk about, should you be selling to even that group as opposed to honing on one of the others, it almost feels like sometimes we're um, losing something when we choose a customer archetype or a customer type. It's like, um, I've heard one business describe it as, you know, well, we sell to these five different business, uh, these five different businesses, you know, what would it look like to focus in on one? Well, then we'd lose the other four. And there's a bit of a, a sense of loss that I know business owners have to go through in making that decision. Yes. Because and here's the problem, because the question that you're asking is the wrong question, right? Business owners ask, should I sell to, how do I sell more? The question they should be asking is, does that customer want to buy from me? Hmm. Because that's the truth, right? So when we did this pricing thing with my client earlier today, one of their tiers of pricing, I said, does anyone ever bought that one? It was the lowest one. And he goes, because we're because it's like, you know, bands of pricing and it's this complicated spreadsheet. And I go, anyone ever bought that? Not in the last 15 months. Okay, then we don't need it. You know? <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things. Like, ask, you know, it's one of those things. It's super important. I believe words matter, and you've got to ask the right question. And the archetype of like, do we choose one persona? The issue is this is you can't. Somebody, you know, I will just because I've read enough, I'll use a bunch of cliches that are from other people's stuff, right? But you, but you don't want to boil the ocean because that's impossible, mm-hmm. you know. And so the the truth is this, and I, and it's brutally, brutally, brutally true. We can talk about the fact that we think having a larger, more diverse set of people we can sell to or companies that we can sell to provides us a larger total addressable market, and that's technically true on a spreadsheet. The, tr- the real just let's get to it and how do you want to be successful is solve one problem, solve it better than anybody else. And people will pay more than they've ever paid anybody else to solve the problem because you're so good at it. Tighten that up, make a rifle approach and stop guessing because you're messaging. There was a, there's a business coach that I had for a while named Taki Moore out of um, Australia. And um, he's probably the best I've seen when it comes to advising small businesses that are consultants. And he said, you want your customer to believe, to feel like you're whispering in their ear, not shouting at them. I love it. I love it. Ken, you've given so many great insights today. Um, it feels like we could keep talking for another half hour. Uh, we're unfortunately out of time. Tell my listeners who are listening, they're thinking like, geez, this guy has given so much to digest. I, I just got, I, I got to know more. I got to find out more. I got to learn more from this guy, maybe even hire this guy in his business. Yeah. What does it look like next for people who are listening? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you, Blake. So I think uh, ultimately a couple of good ways, right? So one, pretty easy to find. So it's Ken at Ken Lundin, L-U-N-D-I-N.com. The website's Ken Lundin.com, L-U-N-D-I-N. And love to connect with anybody, big user of social media, particularly LinkedIn. So love to have anyone just reach out. If you're going to reach out and ask to connect on LinkedIn, please uh, put in the message that you heard Blake and I talk, because I'd love to be able to respond to you and get back to you and answer any questions you have. But, uh, you know, 
all in all, what do I love? I love the entrepreneurial spirit. I love small business. I love the way that the world works. And, um, you know, your friends, customers, never are blessed that you've taken on the risk to go do that. So uh, appreciate it. And hopefully we'll uh, talk to some of you in the future. Ken, thanks for being on the podcast today. Hey, for our listeners, I'm going to put those, uh, I'm going to give the website link, kenlundeen.com down in the episode description below. I'm also going to put his LinkedIn uh, page down in the episode description below so you can follow up with him as well. And hey, if you enjoyed this episode, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button or click that follow button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you're at. And also don't forget, we have a Patreon for the podcast. If you're listening, you want to support the podcast, or even you want to get your business advertised on the podcast, you can go to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash good advice. That's patreon.com slash good advice. And as always, we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you later. Take it easy.